even in a hundred thousand billion kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Good morning, everybody. See, everybody's got their long sleeves on, jackets, sweaters, chilly out there. Changing of the season. Autumn officially arrives Tuesday, I guess it is. Well, first of all, I, I uh, just wanted to, uh, before I start in on uh, what I had for this morning, I wanted to begin the same way I did Thursday night, uh, just uh, inviting any questions that you might, any of you might have about the uh, Jikoji Sashin coming up in uh, just a little better than a week now. A week from tomorrow night, it'll begin. So any questions you might have, uh, feel free to, to ask. So we can sign in and out at any time, I'm going to guess. Exactly. I've uh, confirmed that with Doug and because uh, I thought maybe they'd prefer people not come in during a period of Zazen, but they don't have any issues with that. So, so you can enter and exit at, at any time as your schedule requires during the course of the entire week. Is it going to be the uh, same link the whole time, too? You mean for I do you have the schedule I sent out? Yeah. Okay, okay. It should be uh, any the only adjustments that typically get made would be right after the Dharma talk if the talk runs over. But otherwise, it should pretty much follow exactly what the schedule is showing. So that will be a good guide. Anything else? Okay. And I'm sure other questions will come up and... Uh, We'll be meeting both Thursday and, and Sunday prior to the beginning of the session. Plus, feel free to email if something comes to mind. Uh, that And then uh, the other thing is just to find out if there was anything you wanted to, to talk about to be addressed this morning. If not, then uh, what I had in mind was actually to resume a topic that has come up in, in previous talks over the past few weeks, 
that seem to generate a lot of interest. And that's dealing with this matter of sincerity, authenticity. So I thought it'd be good just to take, take a Sunday morning and, and focus on that. And I was uh, somewhat guided in that direction from uh, my reading last night, preparing for the Sashin, working with Shahaku's Realizing Genjo Koan, and back-to-back -back pages, you know, he just has some real brief comments that reference sin sincerity that I'll, sh I'll start my talk this morning by sharing with you. The first one is, whatever I encounter, I try to do my best to practice with a sincere attitude. And then just the following page, he says, when we practice whatever role we are in sincerely, we penetrate that role. Teaching within Genjo Koan of, of, uh, of practicing one Dharma is penetrating one Dharma. Kind of one Dharma at a time. Zen Buddhists are not into multitasking. And this, this matter of sincerity, which allows us, creates the conditions for practicing, really practicing whatever's right in front of you and whatever role you might be playing in that regard. So if I'm teaching by way of giving a talk on Thursday nights, Sunday mornings, the sincerity I bring to that is, is important. It's based on that, that I can completely practice that Dharma of teaching. And when I have other roles that I'm playing, it's the same practice, just directed in a different way towards different dharmas, aspects of my life. But the practice and the importance of sincerity does not change. It's not that there are some practices that uh, that I need to make sure I bring sincerity to them and others where it doesn't really matter. So sincerity is the practice in that sense. And the practice is continuous as Dogen teaches us. So sincerity is continuous. Now, 
if we turn to the uh, the Oxford Dictionary, they define sincere as proceeding from or characterized by genuine feelings, free from pretense or deceit. And genuine is kind of a synonym for sincere. And it's not unusual when you're looking at uh, definitions that they there's a circularity that uh, that you find where one word is used to uh, to point to another word that means largely the same thing. So if you go to genuine, it says uh, truly what it is said to be authentic, sincere, honest. But it's helpful, I think, to have these additional terms. So sincere points to genuine. Genuine points right back at sincere, but introduces authentic and honest. And then finally, if I go to authentic, of undisputed origin or veracity, genuine. Undisputed origin is interesting. Obviously authenticity, like in the art world. Is it an authentic Rembrandt? authentic origins for our practice, which is about returning to the source. Interesting, interesting. And we'll, we'll likely get around to that as we uh, take a, a somewhat deeper look at this matter of sincerity. and how it really fills our practice, helps it to take shape, informs it, gives it form. In ways that are formless, it's just our sincerity. So there's not some rigid form that we bring to it. We just bring our sincerity to whatever it is that arises. This is what allows us to meet and respond to each thing that arises, to play these various roles that are part of our life with sincerity. Role playing is often seen as something that's not so sincere. We're just playing a role. But actually, you can play a role with deep sincerity. In fact, 
some of some of our greatest actors and actresses make that part of their craft is being able to imbue their roles with sincerity they become the part you know daniel day lewis is a is a classic example of that and how he prepares for a role he throws himself into it 100% so that what he does can have that imprint of sincerity. So for us, we take it one step further within our lives in general. And there is no other objective like trying to sell our performance to the audience we simply bring our sincerity because that's the deepest treasure we have we talk about the the dharma treasury of Shobo Genzo, our Dharma treasury is our sincerity. That's where it's found. Which is why sincerity and practice are so vitally connected. So if we start to look at some different aspects of practice that we're familiar with. And, and see these from the perspective of sincere practice. I think it'll help to shed some further light on this matter. Beginning with that practice of, of confession, that when we which we haven't had now for over six months when we do our full moon ceremony where we receive the precepts. Part of that is this act of confession. Confession by its very nature Either we, I don't, maybe it's putting it too strongly to say it requires, but it certainly invites at a minimum sincerity to truly perform an act of confession means to authentically, genuinely look at yourself in terms of what's going on. Where are you? Dogen puts it in terms of the study of the self. Before anything else happens, it begins there. To study the self with deep sincerity, meeting what's there. 
And it's from that meeting that confession comes forth. So confession is one of those terms that has a lot of baggage from other religious connections. But as it's practiced in Zen, you can kind of get a fresh look at it. That it's the sincerity of the confession itself. That's the heart of it. It's not some external power that's granting absolution. So it's not a petitioning in that sense to an external force. It's simply uh, a sincere acknowledgement of what's coming up with you at this time. It begins there. Because if you're not sincere, with yourself, then life gets thrown kind of askew right out of the gate. Because you can't be in alignment with the true nature, your true nature, or the true nature of all things without that sincerity. Requires it. The important thing is that we each have that capability. So it is a matter of whether we are willing to practice it or not. And it is a practice to open ourselves to what's actually present and arising. Or as Marvin Gaye would put it, what's going on? So that brings us then to this uh, kind of holy grail within Zen of true nature. What is your true nature? When she's true person of no rank, many ways of pointing to it. But true nature is kind of at the heart of our practice. And it probably doesn't require much elaboration to see the deep connection between sincerity and true nature. Being genuine, being authentic, being in touch with your true nature and manifesting that, living your life from that nature. So delusion, ignorance, circle back to the three poisons, that comes from not 
acting out of our true nature, but rather a different nature, the nature that maybe society makes us feel we need to, uh, to measure up to, or that one of the other two or three of, of the poisons, if we include fear, greed, anger, fear, what do they do to our nature? Can, can being in touch with our true nature help us to overcome the, the, the effect of the poisons in our life? Because the poisons are part of our true nature. But we're not bound by them. We don't have to be. This is the core of Buddhist teaching, the third and the fourth noble truths. And they are truths because they're pointing to true nature, sincerity, authenticity, who you are, as you are. Very important teaching within Zen, as you are. That's your true nature. No pretense. No Zen pretenses, Buddhist pretenses, spiritual pretenses, as you are. But truly as you are, with deep sincerity, the true person. And our relationships with others, the matter of communication. And of course we communicate in ways beyond words, but we can begin here just by looking at words. Sincere communication versus communication with pretense. If I'm communicating with someone in a way that's, that I'm attempting to, uh, to elevate myself, if I'm trying to manipulate another person, to do something. So we can do that. Sometimes we need to manipulate someone to do something. Like maybe wearing a mask. But we can do that with deep sincerity. But we are trying to manipulate you to do something, and this is why. <laughs> We're not trying to, uh, to pull the wool over your eyes here. Like a used car salesman, to use the classic example. No, 
we can be very sincere. We, we, we're trying to get you to do something for the benefit of all beings. We'll be very open about that. So this sincerity test, I'll call it, can be very helpful to us in terms of like working with the precepts. And sincerity and the precepts have a very close relationship. No surprise, sincerity has a very close relationship with all of our practices. Some of the precepts, like lying, speaking of communication, you know, it's so obvious. Can you lie and be sincere? So this is a very good practice to get into. And it's a practice that, that be, is easy to fall into because it's so deeply entwined with, with our other practices, not limited to precepts, meditation. When we practice Zazen, this is why Dogen and our, our modern day teachers like Shahaku, who continue to transmit Dogen's teachings, emphasize the fact that Zazen is not about accomplishing any particular thing. It's a deeply sincere practice to just sit. Yet the practice or the art of just sitting wholeheartedly with your deepest sincerity committed to the practice of sitting. And I mentioned earlier about Dogen's teaching of uh, the study of Zen as the study of the self and how that requires sincerity, looking at the self. Really being open to what's arising moment after moment after moment. And to see from that angle how Buddhism has been described by many as essentially psychology. The look at, into the self, trying to get a 
a structure of our true nature. What is it? What can we say about it? You know, so a practice within that domain, such as psychoanalysis, that's what it's about. Is, and of course, that's driven by sincerity, by the therapist and the client working together to determine what's happening and to try to find the root cause of it. As you are, as it is, to see what's going on. So for Dogen, the study of the self is, it's pro, it's, I would say it's closest correlate in, in today's uh, practice terminology would be phenomenological. It's, it's being with what's, what's arising. Just being with that experience, seeing what it is. Which brings us then to a real important term whenever we're looking at sincerity, and that's intimacy. So Dogen's approach and phenomenology is about being with what's arising in such a fashion that there's no longer any separation between you and what's arising. So to use anger is, is an example that often gets used for these purposes, to just be the anger, be very, become very intimate with it. What does it feel like? What's happening? That's a good example, I think, of intimacy in practice, at work. Sincerity comes forth from that dropping off of separation. When there's separation, now you've created the conditions for pretense, deception. You've created a field that will allow you to manipulate it in such a fashion. No separation, no gaps. The intimacy with this moment, with what's happening, that's sincere practice. That's the root of it. That's, I think, the necessary condition for further practice to be able to take place. And then we can apply skillful means. Once we've become intimate with the anger, we can find other ways 
to work with. But because of that intimacy, that sincere facing of anger, we've created the conditions that will help those skillful means to actually be of benefit. So this practice, we've talked about precepts, meditation, as being rooted in sincerity. Prajna, the third basket of our practice, precepts, meditation, wisdom. Prajna is firmly rooted in sincerity, in this kind of intimacy. It's what separates this Buddhist notion of wisdom from just knowledge. Knowledge is uh, sub based on subject-object. It's based on differentiation. Whereas wisdom is that deep, intimate connectedness from which we can then work with knowledge, work with the distinctions, the differentiations that are part of existence as well. But to be able to do that with wisdom is a much different phenomenon than, than working with it just from the standpoint of knowledge. Because you know, the obvious example would be the utilization of science. And the, the choices about how will scientific advances be used? Is there wisdom brought into that picture or not? Or is it solely based on knowledge? In which case, if we can do something, we likely will. So if, if our knowledge of genetics reaches the point, which it seems to be at, where you can design life forms, Regardless of complexity, obviously we've been designing life forms for some time in the plant realm. But now we're moving into the animal realm, right up to and including our own species. So having the knowledge versus bringing prajna to it. deep, intimate connectedness so that we can sincerely 
look at situations where genetic modification could be brought to bear and bring more than just knowledge into that discourse. Prajna, wisdom, very much dependent upon sincere practice. Without the sincerity, I don't think there can be prajna. And without sincerity, there can't be practice. Practice is sincerity. That's an important realization to have. Sure, I think why Dogen placed Zazen at the heart of his teachings, his encouragement for people to take on that practice. Because it's the way to tap into our sincerity, opening the hand of thought, this constant process of letting go. Every time we let go, we're allowing our true nature, our sincere nature, to come forth. Because it's always there. It's just covered over. By all of these causes and conditions created by the three or four poisons and by all of the processes that they set in motion to cover up our true nature. Which is essentially what the second noble truth is pointing to, the cause of suffering, the cause of dukkha. What makes it a problem for us? Why does it become something we need to address? Otherwise, we could just go merrily along, but we have that sense of things being amiss. And that sense, for those of you that were with us Thursday night, we uh, had occasion to talk about bodhicitta, awakened mind. It's that awakening to dukkha. Which generally is what sets us on our path. And as we peel these layers back through practice, we begin to get deeper and deeper access 
to our sincere true nature. As you are. Without wax, as uh, I gave you the Oxford definition of sincere, it shared with you, I think it was last week, Ed Brown's uh, deeper definition of sincere based on its roots, sin and uh, seer, sin being without. So sin itself is, of course, in in other religions, uh, being without God, separate from God. Sincere is without wax. So sincere is being as you are, without trying to uh, present an ideal self. And that can become an issue for Buddhists very much so. We're trying to become more Buddha-like, whatever that might be. Instead of actually living and seeing the truth that we're all Buddha, as you are, rather than trying to be the Buddha outside of you, the Buddha that uh, Lin Chi said we should kill. He's out there working as the great tempter to be somebody else. Not who you are, not sincere. So we all have our own path based on where we are. This is the core teaching of Genjo Koan, so we'll be looking at that a lot uh, week after next. The path to sincerity can only take place if you are truly in your space, dwelling where you are at this time, responding where you are at this time, practicing where you are at this time. So I think I'll go ahead and and end my piece of it there and uh, open it up for any discussion. Well, Dean, I really love this talk. 
Joe here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I recognize you. Yeah, I'm going to make it somewhere. You're covered up. I <laughs> My sincere self is being hidden. But, uh, <laughs> um, I really like, um, and I liked how you um, made the analogy with an actor. Um, because I think sometimes we mistake like, um, like the person might have a certain occupation or a certain job or a certain whatever, but their mood may not fit with um, wanting to do that or whatever, or their or their their inclination may not be. But that's that's not really sincerity. Sincerity is taking on the role. Is 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 actually being. If you're an accountant, you really be the accountant, but sincerely be the accountant. I mean, the way you would be the accountant or, or, or a school counselor or whatever, whatever a person's doing. Yeah. And, if, and in, you know, maybe there's some other career that might fit you better. Well, fine. You can, you, in the meantime, you can, you can, you can inch your way towards that. But while you're in that role, you, 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 one one should actually sincerely play that role. So I, I spent a lot of time with talking with students, of course, and mm-hmm. one, of, one of their big there's one of their big um, obstructions is they think it's hypocritical if they um, engage in something that something that they that they don't like. Or if they engage with a person in a in a respectful and attentive manner, but they actually don't like that person, they think that's kind of like hypocritical. Like if they were really, you know, if they were really honest, they would they would they would tell them what they think. <laughs> and 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 I spend a lot of time showing them now. That's a false definition of authenticity. That's not. Um, and and I spend a lot of time with with what you're what you talk about getting intimate with your feelings, mm-hmm. and that that's okay, that's that's okay. You do have to get intimate with your feelings, but then there's a lot of work after that. <laughs> right, right, and hopefully that that work uh, helps you to see that you're the one that's that's responsible for the response. Right. So to come back to the work thing. I mean, we, and this is where I'm, uh, you know, I've really benefited tremendously from work practice during Sashin's over the years. Uh, it's a way of, of bringing the practice to work that, by and large, we don't generally do in, in our ordinary life, or at least not very much. And it tends to be work that we're not really fond of so to be able within a uh, practice environment to to get get some experience with doing that sort of thing and recognizing that well it's my reaction to the work it's not the work itself i'm not a bathroom cleaner and it's hypocritical for me to clean Precisely. right now right now i'm a bathroom cleaner <laughs> or a weed puller or whatever the case might be. I mean, yeah, all these jobs that nobody wants to do. 
<laughs> but it, we could, and uh, I, I had the benefit when I was in college most of those years. I My uh, part-time job was being a school custodian, so I had plenty of experience cleaning bathrooms, and you adapt to it. I mean, all of a sudden, it's not so bad. Cleaning is uh, an important part of life just like pulling weeds and all the stuff, uh, the stuff that we need to do. Uh, just to keep for things from becoming completely overgrown and unlivable, practically. Uh, it's important work, and there's no reason why that should be viewed in, in a negative light. But that's, that's me, you know, when I, when I respond that way to it. So that's an important piece. Now, there are jobs that maybe a person just isn't cut out for, and that's important to be able to awaken to that and to move on then. But, but it's even more important to recognize that a lot of the time when you respond that way, that's coming from in you. <laughs> and you're going to respond the same way to most any other job, too. Yeah. So you better work with that because otherwise... The Saturday you know, Morning Group is reading Joko Beck, and she's, she's very big on, you know, the office is a great teacher. You know, she'll, she'll, she, she often yeah. says, you know, it's like, you don't, you don't like, you don't like, you know, you don't like all the, the worldly stuff and you want to go to a monastery and she says, <laughs> you can't, you can't even handle the own office you work in. She says, she says that's, you, you're, you're, you're kidding yourself. Right. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, we always project out a different situation is, is will solve my, my problems. <laughs> not, not being uh, honest with ourselves and our problems, we've, we've got strapped across our back and they're with us wherever we go. <laughs> We're bringing them with us. But anyway, I really appreciate you. The, the, this, this deep and, and very full definition of sincerity. It's, 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 it's not simply like what I feel, what, what I'm in the mood. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or what, or what I picture myself as. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so complex. I mean, uh, the, our true nature is, as Walt Whitman put it, you know, we are vast. We contain multitudes. It's, it's, it's profound. So it's not some simple thing we're going to find. Oh, actually, it's, it's the deepest, most profound thing beyond your, your ability to know. Uh, you just look at it. And, my gosh, it's, it's the mystical quality to it. Uh, and we do have so, to pick on roles. Yeah. And that doesn't make us insincere. It's, it's, how, we play, it's how we play that role or... Or, with, or withhold from playing that role that makes us sincere or, or unsincere. Right, right. Because we all know there are roles that get played. You know, the Sashin a week after this, you know, any Sashin, they, they assign roles. You know, they've got the Eno who's in charge of the uh, Zendo, which would be Doug. Out there, they'll have a Tenzo because there'll be five people actually having meals there. Knowing Mike, I expect he's already signed up for that. 
Yeah, we've got a, a lineup of six different teachers and, and you know, they've got the wake up bell out there and all these different roles. So you get a role and you perform it to your best of your ability. You really throw yourself into it. If you're a custodian, you throw yourself into that just wholeheartedly. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's part of being able to, to work together in harmony is having roles. You're going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we can have a sashi. We can have whatever. <laughs> we can have a meal. <laughs> you're going to cook the meal. You're going to do the dishes afterwards. <laughs> you know, it all works out. Roles are important. It's our reaction to the roles where the problems start to arise. Well, I got to go play role of grandfather. I got. Uh, <laughs> so I'll see. I know you'll do it with great sincerity. <laughs> I'll see you guys. Take care, Joe. Hey, Dean. Yes. Um, I wanted to share a quote. <clears throat> I have this date book that has like a bunch of, it's a, it's a pagan date book and it has, you know, essays in it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And there's a quote from one of them that just really relates to this whole talk. Cool. And it's every, every minus is a plus that just needs a stroke of vertical awareness. And I thought that was just like amazing coincidence that you're talking about all that when I read the, you know, just read that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like, that's yeah, that, that's plays into that. <laughs> and I took like five pages of notes. That was a really good talk. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anything else? Dean, can you talk a little bit more about the role of confession in Buddhism? Um, sure. My reference point, of course, I was raised Catholic, and so it's the sliding of that window, and then actually the <laughs> unsincere practice of all the stuff you pretend like you did, that, you know, and then just for some reference, could you also talk a little bit about um, is confession and atonement the same thing in Buddhism? Because I've seen both kind of, I've seen atonement come up and I'm not sure if that's the kind of in the similar vein as confession. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think while the term atonement isn't, isn't used, or at least I've never seen it used by, uh, by the uh, lineage 
of, uh, of Zen teachers, but it would be appropriate. And I'm kind of surprised it isn't used, given the fact that, you know, atonement is at one <laughs> So it's, it really is part of this whole process that, that confession kind of launches us, launches us on, uh, which is simply to acknowledge you know, something harmful, something that's, that's responsible for our suffering and, and or the suffering of others uh, that, that we need to acknowledge and work with. And that, for, from the Buddhist standpoint, where the, the veer-off from Catholicism, rather than uh, uh, going to, to a priest and, and getting absolution, as I was saying, it's something that a person needs to practice. So, I mean, there may, may be, uh, it might be helpful to have a discussion with a priest about it, but that discussion is going to always keep coming back to, to your practice and how, how you can practice with what's coming up. So, you know, the, the, uh, the clear example of that sort of thing would be uh, recovery programs like AA, where confession is at the heart of that, you know, confessing uh, to your addiction. And they do that regularly to, to uh, just put out there that this is what I'm dealing with. And then it becomes a matter of the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour practice with that. So that's an example of how confession plays out within Buddhism, except that, you know, Sometimes it could be helpful to do it publicly like you would at an AA meeting. Other times it can be uh, just you acknowledging. And when we do the full moon ceremony, uh, you know, historically there have been temples where the full moon ceremony did involve public confession by the monks. Uh, but more typically, it's just a private confession that each individual does for him or herself. But the importance of it is that that acknowledgement is taking place. And that's, that is made possible by the sincerity that comes up from our practice. Through that sincerity, we can be more honest and truthful with ourselves about what is there and be able to work with it. Because if we're not, then we're just trapped in it. And the rule of karma, the causes and conditions, you'll stay on that cycle and keep circling around. You know, as Chuck Hutchcraft uh, likes to call it, it's the spin cycle, the never-ending spin cycle. So our confession is, is the starting point to, to stopping the spin cycle. Because without it, uh, it'll be a matter of mere luck happenstance if you ever get out of it. But the odds aren't with you. <laughs>
you know, because the forces of karma are, are going to keep going in that direction. So that's, you know, the difference and the similarity that, uh, that confession has for both Buddhists and Catholics. And it, it kind of points to the difference within those two traditions that not having a deity figure has that kind of personal intercessionary God figure. Yeah, that feels better. Especially <laughs> from when I was growing up as Catholic was always like a scary term. So oh, I, as it came up today, I was like, oh, need some context is what that is. Yeah, yeah, because confession is just because of that scenario, it's tied into, well, that mean entails punishment. If I confess something, there needs, there'll be a price I have to pay. And that's not part of the picture here. Actually, the punishment is if we don't confess <laughs> because we're still trapped in that spin cycle. So it's really uh, a therapeutic personal action to help us address an issue that's ca causing our dukkha, our suffering. So that sense of, of Buddhist, Buddhism being a psychology uh, comes into play with that. Confession is a psychological thing to help us to, uh, to institute uh, the cure for that particular uh, uh, thing that we're confessing to, whether it be anger, angry responses to things, or addictive uh, uh, actions, or whatever the case may be, the whole panorama of it. Uh, we can't work with it unless we confess to it. So it's more like meeting in, the ter in terms of psychology. It's kind of like the confession of a client and a therapist than, than a uh, parishioner and a priest. And the therapist obviously isn't there to punish. He or she is there to, to help, help you work through it. And that's what Buddhism is about, is the alleviation of suffering. And all this other stuff, you know, true nature uh, is all, it, it always keeps looping back to that very basic thing about when we're not in accord with our true nature and the true nature of all things, dukkha arises. So we need to, we need to pay attention to that. And that's where sincerity comes into play. That's how we get in touch with true nature. Rather than idealized nature, which is typically uh, built upon the poisons. You know, our, our idealized ver versions. You know, we have an idealized version about uh, material well-being, for instance, that taps into greed. This is who I should be. And then I'd uh, be in, a, in an area, a neighborhood where uh, other people I don't like, they're not there. Standard Buddhist teachings about the causes of, of suffering is that uh, what I want, I don't have. What I don't want, I do have. <laughs> and that drives me crazy. 
Uh, Dean, I wanted to uh, thank you for your for your talk. Um, I listened to the last one as well um, on sincerity, and um, this is a topic that has been um, uh, very much at the forefront of my thinking uh, lately, as you know, um, related to our discussions. Yeah. Um, so this this whole idea of uh, of confession uh, in Buddhism really plays into all of that. Um, so we. You know, I'm I'm aware of um, practicing within delusion, um, and uh, delusion is a very interesting thing because we generally think of it as, you know, um, what uh, what we do to ourselves. So we know that we're doing something that's deluded, but there's a, a real un, a subconscious element to it as well that is on more than one occasion, you know, kind of bit me in the ass. Um, and that's the process of, of, of awakening um, and being able to, uh, in a sincere way, acknowledge what we learn about ourselves and our world um, and acknowledging that, um, that, that we operate from a, a, a position of delusion. And occasionally we get some insights that, you know, move things forward. Um, and that's nice when that happens um, because it, it changes us, you know, um, and it makes us more um, helpful to, you know, to others around us. Um, so uh, rather than seeing it from sort of a Catholic point of view where, um, you know, we're sinful creatures who uh, in, indulge in our uh, sinfulness, and therefore have to confess uh, uh, to never do it again, you know. Um, and uh, I think in Buddhism, there's more of a sense of um, uh, that we live in the world of samsara and delusion, and, um, and, and we uh, become aware of that, and we acknowledge it, and, uh, and then we, we practice some more with it. Um, and it's an ebb and flow that constantly continues to, to come up. It's, that is our practice. Um, so rather than confession in Buddhism being sort of a rarefied activity that occurs once a month or whatever, <laughs> I think it occurs, you know, constantly, continually. Um, but, but it's a good practice to, um, to, uh, to practice confession, um, you know, whether it's on a daily basis or, or a, a momentary basis or a monthly basis. Uh, or as part of some, you know, recovery program or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, I think confession is sort of built into um, intimacy as far as um, our relationships, like, you know, my relationship with you as my teacher or with, uh, with, with those that we, you know, trust. Um, uh, I think it's built into that relationship. Um, uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be able to be authentic um, people yeah. um so yeah i really appreciate the the topic of this talk because it's um it's been on my mind quite a bit and uh, I, I just think it's helpful for all of us so so thank you yeah. for that good thanks
Well, that's, if there's nothing else, I guess we'll go ahead and chant out them. May our intention equally penetrate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Arma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. All right. Well, it may be cool, but it 